Good morning. Happy Palm Sunday to everybody. Good seeing all of you today. Uh, good to worship this morning. I was uh, telling the first service, is Jackson still in here somewhere? But uh, I don't know if he snuck out. There you are. Uh, I tell the first service. Um, the first service is always a little, uh, it's 8.30. This morning it was about 42 degrees when I got up. It's a little cooler, but it was really bright and sunny. And, um, and there's less people in the, in the 8.30 service. But, but Jackson sings with a volume and a clarity, even at 8.30, that um, only the birds outside can do. You know, it's like, uh, you know, like I have to build into it. Uh, I can sp- but singing, I can speak, but singing does like take a little time. But it took me back, uh, I was telling the first, 11 years ago, um, that right around this time of year, I was in London uh, for some business meetings, which did not go well. And as a matter of fact, on the plane ride back, the Lord was telling me, you will be leaving this and going into full-time ministry. It was really it was crystal clear, but while I was there, I got a chance to go to Calvary Chapel, London. Matter of fact, one day I want to have Pastor Alwyn preach here, and one day I want to preach in London where he's at, but, uh, but I want him to come here and preach sometimes. So, and I've talked to him once before about it, and I got to go where uh, G. Campbell Morgan uh, taught, and, and then I got to go to Westminster Abbey one morning, and at that time, uh, for about seven straight weeks, I guess around this time, Westminster Abbey does the Easter service again and again. And it's like every, they do like six a day for like six straight weeks. And it's because people from all over the world can't all be there at that same time, but they want to see the service. And the acoustics is amazing. And I, had, and I had not an appreciation for it, but once I was in there, some of you like music, you would have appreciation. But I did. It was like, uh, but everything was crystal clear like it's not because of microphones it's kind of the way that they build everything and everything just crystal clear and it was early like that and I said thank Jackson I said you took me halfway across the Atlantic even <laughs> even the bad memories and the good memories all came back in just a moment uh, but it was just uh, it's just kind of something about you hear a song and and they were old songs and and just powerful uh, they mean something even though there's a lot of dead religion in the UK they meant a lot to me because I do know Jesus. How about you? So these songs are not just words to us and they're not just acoustics to us or anything like that. And we'll be celebrating all of that this Sunday and again uh, next week uh, with this Easter season. But good to see all of you. Those of you that may be joining online, welcome uh, to you as well. I wanted to say thank you for your prayers this past week. Uh, I got together with about 35 other pastors up in the Blue Ridge Mountains and uh, we prayed over... Uh, this uh, resurrection season and people to come to faith and uh, just just what God's doing in so many uh, cities. One of the things that really encouraging to me and it's good for you if you were here Wednesday night. You heard Pastor Mike Skillman who was down here from Calvary Chapel Crossroads with me and and they shared um, about the Cedar Ranch camp and things like that. Uh, I'm excited. We have Calvary Chapels now, verse by verse teaching taking place in so many college towns now. Greenville, North Carolina, which is where East Carolina University is. Blacksburg, where Virginia Tech is. Um, Chapel Hill, and matter of fact, uh, uh, Chapel North Carolina, University of North Carolina. David, David, the glasses is beside me. We first went to Israel together in 2013. He's in his uh, mid to upper 60s now, and he's going to transition out of being the senior pastor there. He's still going to do other things ministry-wise and help support the church and do other things, but, um, but not just kind of teach every Sunday. And then Vince, who's to the left, is going to be taken over as senior pastor there in Chapel Hill. And there's so many young people in Chapel Hill and reaching this generation. And we've got you know, Calvary Chapel in Charlottesville where UVA is. And just I can go on and on. I think we have like seven, eight college towns represented uh, there. And just God's raising up. And the other cool thing as I was telling my wife, God's raising up, um, I'm kind of in the middle, and there's guys that are younger coming up, and then there's guys a little bit older, but God is raising up this generation of um, late 20s to early 30s, mid-30s guys that are uh, just ready to take the mantle and go for it. So, uh, and Vince here, be praying for him. He's going to do, do a great job, and, and David has been a great mentor to him. So I'm just excited about what God's doing. And uh, that was in North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, and Georgia. Um, let's see. This coming Sunday, you guys know next Sunday's Easter. If you don't know that, uh, I don't know where you've been, but uh, uh, it, it is next. It's after Palm Sunday, comes Easter Sunday. So uh, we've got some of those invite cards out there on the information booth. Uh, invite somebody. Invite one person. Just pray over it and say, Lord, at least one person I'm going to invite. And uh, then the week... Uh, the, the two weeks after 
uh, Easter Sunday, we'll have two back-to-back weeks of prophecy teaching, closer by the day. And I don't know if you have noticed, but a lot of things are happening, and a lot of signs, a lot of rumblings, a lot of things that, that Jesus said would take place are taking place, and so we'll be talking about some of those things uh, right after Easter Sunday. So keep that in mind on your calendar. And this coming Wednesday is not only our normal prayer night, because we have a monthly prayer night, but it also happens to coincide with the first night of Passover, and that takes place at sunset. So when the sun sets, the week of Passover starts. Our calendar, our Gregorian calendar, is not on the same as the lunar calendar, which Israel follows. They follow a lunar calendar, and it follows the moon and the cycles and the 28 days. We have a Gregorian calendar, so Passover really starts this coming Wednesday at sunset. And most years, Passover and what we call Passion Week, which is Easter week, they, they overlap most of the time, but sometimes they don't. And they obviously do overlap this, this season. But it starts Wednesday night, and so we will have our normal prayer service, but also uh, I think it's really cool that it happens to be on the very night that Passover begins. And we know we're not just, uh, there's a lot of people that will celebrate Passover all over the world that practice Judaism that don't know Jesus, their Lord and Savior. So even though they'll practice the ritual, they still don't know their Redeemer. We will be praying to the one who has already come and uh, brought salvation. We'll be looking at it this morning. Uh, I'm praying that you come to the prayer meeting. I literally have been praying, Lord, spur the hearts of some people that tell me that they think we're in the last days but yet don't see the need to gather and pray. I'm praying you come. Uh, That is the Lord's... I'm just delivering the message to you. I'm praying that you come. It's, It's the Lord giving you the invite to come out and pray Um, I I see a lot of Christians wring their hands about things, but I don't see them running to come and pray. And I'm like, you do realize you have a bigger role to play in this praying than you do complaining or consuming more information about everything that's going wrong. And I'm aware of those things too. I'll talk about some of them in the prophecy teaching, but that notwithstanding, the best thing I can do is draw near to Jesus and pray. Amen? And also be a witness and, and, and share share my faith with people, invite them, all of that. It all goes together. So come on out Wednesday night, and we're going to be having a great time of prayer. And we'll pray for um, revival in just a minute. We'll also be praying for the nation of Nepal. Uh, Lee and Zach, y'all probably know this, but I don't know if everybody... Fun fact, Nepal is the only country on earth that does not have a a rectangular flag. They have two little red pennants that are stuck together. So every other country has a rectangular flag, except for the nation of Nepal. It's good to be different. Nepal said, you know, we're going to do it a little different here. So that we'll be praying for that nation. We've been praying for one country every week, and we'll pray for Nepal. I was thinking this week about our nation as I pray for revival, and you know, I, I've told you many times, I'm glad that I was born here. I appreciate the freedoms here. Uh, I love this country. But we really are, and I'm not, this is not hyperbole. We really are in this country, nearly identical to when ancient Babylon was fading and when ancient Rome was fading. You're just watching it in slow motion. You can't tell because Starbucks is still selling the same stuff and you know, TV commercials are still the same and uh, your sports team's still on TV, so you can't tell that the underpinnings are falling apart before your very eyes. And that's why it's becoming normal. It's almost every week we expect like the, the nine-year-olds that were shot and killed in a school. We, we, we've come immune to this because it's just the norm now. And, and what's happening in the streets and the homelessness and the drug addictions and the sexual immorality and the gender confusion and all of these things, it's just snowballing fast. But most people say, hit the snooze button, go back to sleep. It'll all be okay tomorrow. But Jesus is saying, no, wake up. Your redemption draws nigh. Amen. That's why we'll be talking about these things in a couple of weeks. But, uh, but I'm still praying that God opens a lot of eyes before he comes back. I mean, I've seen some amazing salvations here in the last five years, and we want to see many more that before Jesus returns, at least there's some personal revivals, if not a revival at Calvary Chapel, Richmond, or maybe this city, maybe even the world. But at least a great harvest is what we're praying for. So you, know, you guys know that ever since the pandemic, we started getting on our knees and and uh, I almost stopped it, and Lord said, don't stop it, so we're going to keep doing it. And if you're able to get on your knees, and I know it's tight in some places, 
feel free to do so. If you're not, that's fine. Just sit there and pray with us in your heart, and we will take about 45 seconds of silence before our Lord and Savior, and then we'll go and get into God's Word together. Let's pray. Father, we once again, Lord, it's a right response to humble ourselves before the true and living God. And Jesus, we're so thankful you came humbly to provide salvation. And we're only here this morning because of your mercy, because of your grace, because of your shed blood. Lord, we know that uh, all of us in this room are so far from perfect, but Lord, we bow before the perfect and holy one, and we ask this morning because of your great love and because of your mercy and because of your willingness to forgive, Lord, you'd wash and cleanse us in this room. Maybe we came in this room with wrong attitudes, wrong thoughts. Maybe we came in, Lord, with anything that was uh, really the right spirit of just humbling ourselves. And so we take this time collectively to say, Lord, wash us. Forgive us of all of our own iniquities. We don't just look at the outside world that is falling apart. We don't just look at those that are still in darkness. We don't look at those just that are still rebelling against you. But Lord, we want to see judgment begin in the household of God. We want to see you clean your bride, your church, and bring just a work of repentance and revival among us, Lord. We want to be people of prayer. We want to be people, Lord, that are eagerly awaiting, as it says in Hebrews, eagerly awaiting your return. And Lord, if we're not eagerly, eagerly waiting return, we pray you'd stir in us a hunger and thirst for your righteousness. Lord, we want to be like the ten virgins that had oil in their lamps, not the foolish ones that did not. And Lord, we want those lamps to shine bright in these dark days in which we live. And so we pray, Lord, that you would just send a work of revival in the church in America, definitely this church, Lord. We have a lot of lukewarmness here. Uh, you know that, Lord. And I pray that you would spur each and every one of your sons and daughters to fully surrender and, Lord, just walk in the ways of the Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we be lights and witnesses for you. Uh, and, Lord, that we would boldly proclaim the name of Jesus to those that don't know you. We pray, Lord, that you would turn those that are in darkness. Lord, they are um, believing that they don't need you. Lord, that uh, they're ignoring or resisting you. We pray that you would soften hearts and bring a work of repentance from the highest offices in this nation to the people that are homeless on the streets that have no name, Lord, and all points in between. We pray that you would do that as only you can do. And we ask, Lord, uh, that you would also uh, bring the work of revival and repentance and souls to be saved and disciples made in the nation of Nepal. I'm thankful for what's taking place there already and the ministries that are there, and not only there, but around the world. And Lord, uh, we also lift up our persecuted brothers and sisters. We May you remember those in chains. May you deliver them. May you give them boldness, faith, peace, comfort, and even healing, and restore and return them to their families. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And if you find your seat, it shouldn't be hard. It's right where you were at. But uh, if you find your seat, then uh, grab your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Maybe it's disorienting on your knee. You never know. Yeah, things like that. But Luke chapter 19. And uh, Next week I'll be in the, the book of Luke as well for Easter Sunday. So back-to-back -back weeks in the, in the book of Luke. We'll do a little mini verse-by-verse -verse from these uh, two sections. But if you pick it up with me with verse 28... Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28, when he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, and it came to pass, when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who went their way found it just as he had said to them. 
But as they were loosing the colt, the owner of it said to, him, said to them, Why are you loosening the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, him being the colt, and they threw their clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as, uh, then as he was now drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice, for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is he, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near the city, now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially this in your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children with, within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Well, those are words you think a lot of people don't know Jesus said things like this, do they? But he did. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word this morning. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to all of us, myself included, maybe especially myself, Lord, by your spirit. Lord, you'd remove every distraction from this room and those watching online, Jesus, that you would speak by your spirit what each and in each individual heart. We know that you use one word and you will speak multiple things to where people are at, what they need to hear. And we pray, Lord, that we would all draw nearer to you and leave this place in communion with you. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Every year uh, around this time, we reflect on this one week that not only changed the world, but has changed eternity for millions of souls. What took place this week has changed my soul. How about yours? Amen. It was a week unlike any other week in history. The week began with throngs and multitudes of people praising a man known among Galilee and Judea as Jesus of Nazareth. And the week ended with throngs of people profaning the very same man with a callousness and a cruelty that would have seemed impossible when the week began. But none of this was a surprise to Jesus. This week that was just beginning was the culmination of his coming down from heaven, his walking 33 years through this world, and then that journey from a stable in Bethlehem, which was just seven miles to the south, where the temple lambs were raised there in Bethlehem and then taken to the holy city of Jerusalem to be the sacrificial lambs for sin. And as Jesus approached Jerusalem, again coming from Bethlehem all the way to this point at the end of his life on earth, he's arriving this week of Passover. We sometimes hear it as Passion Week, but it really was the Passover week. And in fact, it was the final Passover week of his earthly life. The Passover was the preeminent feast among Jewish pilgrims from around the world to travel to. The other feasts were all important as well, but this was the one more would come to from all over the world. And to do so was typically very costly, cost a lot of their money and uh, time and length, and travel was not easy. They didn't have great airlines like Southwest. You just get them there no matter what, right? Yeah, that kind of stuff. But the Passover was celebrated and observed annually as the law prescribed, remembering that night where the blood was to be applied on the doorpost, right? You had to put the blood there in Egypt on that night of the first Passover. And the Lord would pass over every home where the blood was applied, but he also would judge every home and the firstborn would die where there was no blood applied. And that same night, not only did God pass over those who had the blood, but he broke the chains of slavery and bondage to Egypt. 
But Jesus had come here to Jerusalem, same Passover, same Passover season, same Passover meal to remember back of being liberated from Egypt. But Jesus had come here to Jerusalem to break a far greater bondage, the perpetual bondage of sin and death. You know why we see death in America? Because there's sin. And sin and death always go together. And as Jesus' fame had spread throughout Galilee and spread throughout Judea and beyond over and beyond the Jordan, which is today modern-day Jordan, and to the north, which is modern-day Lebanon, and to the south, Egypt, his fame had spread. Thousands upon thousands were excited and hopeful that this very Passover season, knowing the name of Jesus, was spreading like wildfire. That this Passover season, a God-given leader like Moses, because they, even though they gave God the credit of getting them out of Egypt, they revered like Moses did it. Moses was, he was the man. A God-given leader like Moses to be raised up. And many had rapidly come to believe that this Jesus of Nazareth, with his miracle-working power, remember it says the mighty works that they, they had seen him do, that his miracle-working power, he was the one. He could be the one. In fact, many believe he was the one that could supplant the power of Caesar. Caesar couldn't do miracles, but Jesus was doing them. Pharaoh couldn't do them, but Jesus was doing them. And maybe he could cause the overthrow of Rome, just as had happened with Moses and Egypt centuries earlier. This is what they were excited about. We could have a second revival of just like Moses did it, this Jesus of Nazareth could do the same kind of thing. And all this palm waving, when I was a kid, we liked to slap that on a flannel graph. You know, you got, a, uh, uh, you got the palm, you slap it on the flannel. You remember flannel graphs? You know, we don't have those anymore, kids, but uh, we can find them. I bet they're out there somewhere. But uh, all that palm waving, We'd color them too. You know, you had the color sheets and all that stuff. But all the palm waving, they were looking for a ruler. They were looking for a mighty leader. They weren't looking for a lamb. They were looking for a ruler. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning, The Lamb Who Is Lord. If you were with us as we went through the book of John, even the disciples didn't understand the central mission of Jesus. Would you all agree with that? They didn't, most of their time, until Jesus had died and rose from the grave, and then some of the things started to come together. But they didn't even understand the central mission of Jesus. Interestingly, all of the disciples, except for Judas, of course, they saw Jesus as their personal Savior. They saw him as their master, their rabbi, their teacher, their Lord. But they did, not see the, they did not see Jesus as someone who had come to die until it happened. They did not see that. Even when he told them plainly, we've talked about this many times in the book of John, even when he told them plainly that he would be crucified by the chief priests, by the religious leaders, it still didn't register. It's like when I tell people here in America, Jesus really is coming back. It doesn't register. I, I, everybody said that. I'm like, well, there's a verse for that for you. Let me show you. Let me turn to the epistles of Peter. You're saying exactly what the Bible says you would say. But it just didn't register. It was like their ears were deaf when he explained to them the mission. Let me give you the proof of it. Matthew chapter 28 Matthew chapter 20, verses 18 through 19. This is before they went to Jerusalem. This is just days before going to Jerusalem. Jesus says this, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. Not Bethlehem, not Capernaum, Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed. Bottom line, going to happen. By the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And deliver him to the Gentiles, that would be Pilate and Herod, to mock and scourge and to crucify on the third day he will rise again. Could he have been any clearer why he was going to Jerusalem? If they even remember Jesus saying this, because sometimes they seem to just, when he said these hard things, they would just kind of drop off and put it out of their hit minds. They didn't know what to make of it. 
If they did remember, they'd say, what, is, what does he mean by this? Uh, perhaps they thought it was symbolic language. Yeah, Jesus did speak in parables sometimes, but this was not parabolic language. And they would know he wasn't storytelling here. And Jesus' stories always had a spiritual truth when he told them parables. But this wasn't parabolic language. This was just speaking exactly as you would say, hey, tomorrow let's meet for lunch. That's not a parable. He was being direct with them. Nevertheless, whether it's a coping mechanism or not, by the way, we all have coping mechanisms, things, don't we? God's given me a wife to help when I... So I might be saying this, that, and the other, and she's like, that's just a big, fat excuse. And I'll be like, it's not an excuse! And then after about a minute, I'm like, yeah, it's an excuse. <laughs> but it was a coping mechanism for me to kind of resolve why I wasn't wanting to do this or that. And then she gets to play a little bit of Holy Spirit there. And I do it, I do it with her, too, so we can kind of go back and forth with this. But whether it was a coping mechanism or whether it was the Spirit still veiling eyes... The disciples are not in any way, they're not in any way expecting this week to bring about the crucifixion of Jesus. They're not seeing that. You wouldn't have either. And you can imagine when they start to see these massive crowds begin to swell and line the roads with shouts of praise and they're waving palm branches, which is, by the way, only recorded in John's Gospel. That's how we know about the palm branches. Only John's Gospel records that. Luke records a couple things this morning that only he records. But when they see all these people waving branches and shouting and praising, they have to think a coronation is near. Not a crucifixion. A coronation. But nothing could be farther from the truth. This will not be a coronation week, at least not from mankind. God's going to coronate his son, but man will not. But getting back to our text and traveling back in time, if you will, to Jesus' anticipated Entrance. Let me give a little um, understanding and review of the lay of the land, which includes Jesus' instructions to the disciples uh, before his descent into Jerusalem. And aside from my, and if you've been here any length of time, you know I love maps. I've loved them since I was a kid. I, I like street maps. I like topographical maps. I like macro maps. I like micro view maps. I like Google Maps, I like Bing Maps, you name it. All, anything that, uh, and, and I even like that Apple Maps tell me where I'm going before I get there. That's, that's really helpful. Remember the, in the old days, uh, you had in the back of your car an atlas. And uh, you're like getting that thing out and say, all right, we're trying to get to, where is this town not even on the map? How, how are we supposed to get here? I mean, that kind of thing. And then you had MapQuest, and they were half wrong. And then you end up, and you're on that side of the street, and you're supposed to be on this side of the street. And you're like, who's doing this? You know, so, uh, but anyway, I still like maps. Uh, and they're not just in the back of your Bibles to entertain kids when church is boring. Uh, there is a reason why they're in the back of your Bibles uh, but a few, of, a few views to help us um, understand what was taking place, at least from the lay of the land. So you've got this, um, uh, it's a really good rendering of Jerusalem during that time. This is made to scale, and you can see how massive the temple was compared to the cities, the, the walled city of Jerusalem. Uh, the temple was really one of the ancient wonders of uh, the world, no question about it. Uh, there shouldn't be seven ancient wonders, should be at least eight. The temple should be in that list. Uh, but it was destroyed, obviously. And so it's a massive structure, made even the amphitheaters and the palaces look small. Uh, but just it dwarfed uh, the horizon. But you get an idea of, of what Jesus was approaching because he was approaching from the Mount of Olives. So he's going to come, the, the, the focal point as you come down the Mount of Olives will be that massive temple. It, it, it will rise up... Um, above the city skyline, uh, the city landscape anyway. And so you've got this massive temple, and it, uh, the, the temple portion of itself with white marble would glisten in the sun. It's just a beautiful, amazing uh, sight. And you've got all these people coming from all over uh, the known world uh, to be there for this Passover season. But Jesus will be coming down the Mount of Olives, which is just to the east of the temple. Uh, but it was the focal point, and... Uh, as Jesus is getting ready, uh, the city is buzzing, and there's thousands upon thousands. In fact, uh, uh, could be over a million people gathered, not just in the city, but all the surrounding villages and towns and everything in Judea. 
But this gives you a, a look and feel of what it looked like during that time. And on the slopes outside the city were olive, olive trees, and that's why it's called Mount of Olives. And then you have the olive vineyards that were there, uh, just many, many trees uh, with olives. And you have a little road that would kind of come across the mountain down. The second map is more directional. Uh, it's obviously no, no view, no topographical view or anything like that. But Jesus would be coming from, you know, the, he sends them to Bethpage, it says Bethpage and Bethany. So Jesus is coming from Bethany, which is over here. And Bethpage is kind of like, must be a sister village. We don't know exactly, but they were near each other because it says Bethany and Bethpage. It's kind of like we would say Petersburg and Colonial Heights, two great destinations uh, from all over America. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry if you're from those towns. But, uh, but anyway, you know how they're side by, you know, Petersburg and Colonial Heights are kind of side by side. And so Bethany and Bethpage were somewhat in proximity, and uh, Jesus was in Bethany, but he sends them over to Bethpage to get the donkey. And then once, once he's going to be on the donkey, uh, he's going to be making his way from Bethany around, which would be the backside of the Mount of Olives, coming around till he crests on the top, and that's when you would see the city. And we'll, we'll take a view of that uh, in just a few minutes. But he sends them uh, in verses 28... Um, Starting verse 20, verse 30, he says, Go into the village opposite you. So they're in Bethany, the village is opposite Petersburg's, you know, Colonial Heights thing. He sends them over to the other one. You'll find a colt. No one's ever sat on the colt. You're going to go and take that colt and loose it. And if anyone asks you why you're loosing it, this is what you're going to tell them that the Lord has need of it. Um, the colt, no one could ever have ridden on this colt had to be never trained, never sat upon. Uh, Jesus would be the first person, maybe the only person, we don't know, uh, but the first person to ever sit upon it. Uh, and that normally would not go well if a donkey has never been sat on. They are Andre. But the cool thing about Jesus, he's the creator of the world, and if he says the donkey's going to be calm, it's going to be calm. I'm going to sit on you, and you're going to be really well behaved. Case closed. The rest of us try this. Donkey's bucking us straight off. I have not been trained. I don't know you. I don't want you sitting on me, but this is going to work just fine because it's Jesus. Um, and also, if they go there and they're taking a donkey, and it's not their donkey, this would be like you saying, I'm going to take this car, and I wonder if anyone notices that I'm going to take this car that doesn't belong to me. Hey, wh why are you taking my car? The Lord has need of it. Well, you might try it. It might not go as well for you because you don't really have the protective scenario here that Jesus has created. But they're going to go and, and they're going to uh, take the donkey. And sure enough, exactly the way it says. So when they're there in verse uh, 33, but as they were loosing the colt, someone does say, why are you doing this? Someone says, why are you loosing the colt? Uh, that's not your colt. I know whose colt that is. If I, if I go to my neighbor's house and just start getting in this car, like, I don't have a key or anything, but I, I don't even know how to hotwire a car anyway. But anyway, they're going to go ahead and take it. They do exactly what Jesus says. They say, well, the Lord has need of him. And that seems to solve everything. Jesus had set it up uh, that whoever owned the donkey would fully believe that the Lord did give them that word, that it, that it lands true. And they're like, okay, if the Lord uh, has wants you to use it. And the disciples uh, do this and they say exactly what Jesus tells them to say, and, and this is really important for us. We need to do exactly what Jesus tells us to say, amen? Right. Whatever he tells us to do, and it goes off without a hitch, and they might even say to themselves, wow, that really worked. We didn't get arrested. It's, I'm, I'm taking someone's donkey is like stealing a car, and with, that doesn't happen. But they did it what Jesus, exactly as he says, and you and I need to do the things that he's telling us, do exactly what he says. And then they bring the donkey back from Bethpage to Bethany in these uh, towns that are near each other. And then they, the disciples place Jesus on the donkey. First they place their own clothes on the donkey. So they probably take off outer garments and they place it on the donkey, whether it's some kind of saddle, whether it's just to keep him just, again, uh, just an act of consecration. Say, we're putting our clothes underneath you. You are above us. Sit on our clothing so they, he does. And they lift him up just like servants would a king, and they are servants of Christ. Verse 36, 
And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. So as the disciples, once they have the donkey, they have their own clothes on it. They've placed Jesus on the, the, the young colt, on the donkey. They begin to move. Again, looking at the map here, uh, they're on this back. They're, they're still coming kind of around, around the Mount of Olives. They're on the back side of the mountain and coming around it. You know, you have slopes on both sides, but the, the temple faces the eastern side. Bethany and uh, Bethpage would be on the back western side of the mountain. So they're coming around from the western side to the eastern side. And there's a road that's been there since ancient times. It's still there now. If you get a chance to go to Israel with us, you'll see the same road. Now you've got buses on it, and now it's paved instead of dirt and things of that nature. But you still have uh, that same kind of road that comes around and then down the slope of the Mount of Olives. But he's not to the kind of cresting point where you would look over the temple yet. He's kind of moving along that. And, and donkeys don't really run. They're not like the Kentucky Derby kind of uh, animals. They, they just kind of take their sweet time. And so he, he's going slowly and people are just building and the crowd is building and thousands are uh, just throwing their... Now they start to throw their clothes. You know, we, we use the term roll out the red carpet. You know, you roll out the red carpet and someone in a tuxedo and evening gowns, they walk on that... Uh, there's no red carpet, but they're throwing down their clothes to make a carpet of clothing on what would be a dirt road. Treating Jesus as royalty, of which of course he is. And they begin laying their clothes there in the population of Jerusalem, as I said, swelled during Passover. Josephus said more than a million, and uh, not just in the city, but uh, all around the area. And you can see that the crowds, uh, you can just imagine the crowds lining this road that leads to the Mount of Olives and down the Mount of Olives. Uh, and as word spreads among people that Jesus of Nazareth is coming, that the testimony that, that especially people from the Galilee, because the people in the Galilee had seen many of his miracles, and they have to come down every single year for the Passover. So anyone that was in places like Capernaum and all, up, all the areas around Nazareth and anywhere that Jesus had been in the Galilean area... Many of them had seen his miracles. They had seen him heal thousands, thousands of people. Can you imagine Jesus healed more people than in all the hospitals in Richmond right now combined? I mean, far more than that. Far more than that. It was Richmond, Roanoke, Lynchburg, Alexandria. All, I mean, he had healed thousands of people. And so many people, and some of the people waving branches had been healed by him. They were personally healed. Some of them had cancer, or they had leprosy, and they had different things, and they had personally been healed. Or they were blind, and now they could see. And he, there was te testimony, hey, he had walked on water. He healed thousands with a few fish, all these things. And now people that are pilgrims coming from, they're from Turkey, they're from Gaul, which is uh, modern-day France, or different places, Greece, uh, Northern Africa, the Middle East, they're hearing it. Oh, he cast out demons. He even recently raised a man named Lazarus from the dead. Because that had just happened very recently. And now Jesus is approaching, and, and, and the word is going out to the crowd like, who are we cheering on here? Uh, he's Jesus of Nazareth. Well, why are we cheering on? Here's what he did. And I used to be blind, and so that's good enough for the person. So the information spreading quickly. And as Jesus reaches the crest of the road that's going to descend down the Mount of Olives and then over the Kidron Valley into the temple, we see what they're saying in verses 37 and 30. Now, as he was drawing near to the descent, so he's coming up near the crest of the Mount of Olives, at least where the road comes around, and then you can, oh, there's the temple. It just kind of pops, just it fills up the entire, it's like the first time I was out in uh, Seattle and I was there for two weeks of training and I was there for the first 10 days. Those of you from the Pacific Northwest, you know how this is. I did not see the sun. All it was was misty and gray and I'm like, yeah, I've heard Mount Rainier is amazing. And then one day it was sunny and Mount Rainier just dwarfed everything and it just, just, swallowed up the sky like and that and when you come around that mountain that's what the the temple would in the city of jerusalem will just the view is just kind of awe-inspiring but he hasn't come around to there yet it says he's approaching uh, but the whole crowd is with him at every step of the way and in front of him all the way down to the temple it's like they're spread as far as the road goes and the whole multitude of the disciples that anyone had been following him, being fed by him, and then tons of people who weren't even his disciples gathering in. They were praising God with a loud voice. They were not whispering. 
They were shouting. If you've ever been in the Middle East, you will see when, when people are excited about something, there are some loud voices. And, um, and they had seen the mighty works that speaks to the miracles. And they were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace and heaven and glory in the highest. Multitudes of people, they had seen the mighty works there raising these palm branches, which again John tells us about. They're lifting their voices. Some are no doubt very curious to just get a glimpse of Jesus. Does he really have this miracle working power? Can he really do the things that Moses and Elijah did? And of course the answer is yes and even more than Moses and Elijah did. And the adulation and, and they have this hope that their deliverer just might be arriving. The words of praise that they use are found in Psalm 118, uh, 26. I have it up on the screen. It says, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. But you notice they don't just say that part of the verse. They also say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, they use the word king. And we know from Matthew chapter 21, verse 9, that the crowd was saying other similar things. Uh, if you've ever been to a sporting event, uh, you will hear a multitude of things said cheering on the team, but you might not say the exact same things. You might say, go teams, don't say, we got to win, or whatever it may be. And so the, the crowd was also saying this in Matthew 21, 9, Hosanna to the son of David. Not only blessed be the king who comes, but also Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All a variation of what was taking place there in Psalm 118. But the excitement and the joy and the rejoicing was for the arrival of a king. And they hailed Jesus as a king. And they hailed him as the son of David. And we know when you say son of David, it means son of the heir. Or the, I'm sorry, the heir of the king, just like Solomon was the son of David. So when you say son of David, it's proclaiming that he's the heir to the throne. Just like Solomon was the heir to David's throne, they're saying Jesus is the heir to David and Solomon's throne. So he's the son of David, he's the heir to the throne, he's the king. And when they say blessed is he, they understood collectively that term in the Jewish community there and that those that were of Israeli descent, those that were of the seed of Abraham, that were the Jews there for the Passover, they understood that when they say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that that would be the Messiah, the Christ the anointed one, which are all synonyms, Messiah, Christ, anointed one, they would understand that Jesus is the Messiah. They are saying he's the Messiah. They're going to backtrack on that later in the week, by the way. But at this moment, they're saying he's the Messiah, he's the king, he's the heir to David's throne. In their minds, they're seeing their king coming to liberate the Jews from Rome. That's what they're seeing. Just like Moses delivered the Jews from Egypt. And they're partially correct. Partially correct. Remember the 11 disciples that are saved? They've already been liberated from Jesus, haven't they? Yeah. Peter, James, John. They've already been liberated. And they're all Jewish, and of course Jesus was Jewish. Uh, but they're even shouting Hosanna. And you may or may not know, but Hosanna means save now. So they're saying save now. And by the way, Jesus loves to save now. Amen. He loves to save now. They're saying save now. They were praising a king that they thought was going to save them from Rome. But remember what the angel told Joseph way back at Jesus' birth, or just before his birth in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. We read this one in the Christmas season. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That was the whole reason he was coming, not to save them from Rome, but from their sins. Sadly, some of these celebrity pastors in America, they teach a partial gospel that ends up being no gospel. Amen. And they like to start and end with people's physical needs because it lines their pockets or does whatever or just kind of makes people happy or makes them popular and sells more books or whatever the case may be. But Jesus did not come to pay off your bills. Amen. He came to pay for your sins. Amen. Amen. Amen? He can pay your bills, but that's not why he came. Amen. He came to pay for our sins. And so there's this teaching out there that you know, it came to do all these other things. And like the gospel brings up the rear. No, the gospel's on the front. All that other stuff brings up the rear. 
We can't get it backwards. But as Jesus approaches on this young donkey, he's not only fulfilling Zechariah 9.9, which is up on the screen as well, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, which the crowds did. O daughter of Jerusalem, which the whole city did. Behold, your king is coming. And they're even calling him king. And he is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus did in fact fulfill all of this. You see the whole scene. This verse is this transported into that scene. Everything is playing out exactly the way it was prophesied by Zechariah hundreds of years earlier. But the people should have noticed, they should have noticed that he was not coming as a conquering king. Even the passage foretold that he wouldn't come as a conquering king. But as a humble king, holding salvation, not a scepter. Did you notice? He's not holding a sword. He's not holding a bow and arrow. He's not holding a scepter. He's holding salvation. Which is just in his hands. He doesn't need to hold anything because he is salvation. That's why he's, not, he's just sitting on the donkey with nothing because he, whereas other kings, they'd have a sword. They have all these, a scepter. Jesus has nothing because his hands will have nail prints. That's the proof of his humility. But it was common in those times, it was common in those times for conquering kings and warrior kings to enter a city after they had conquered another nation, after they had been successful in war, or they were coming to proclaim, this city now belongs to me. All of these things could fit. It was com common for these conquering kings to enter a city, but they would not be on a donkey, they'd be on a mighty war horse. Or maybe with chariots, but they'd be on a, a mighty horse and they would receive the praise of people. And you see them throw that. You ever seen those like garland things? They throw the garlands and, and flowers and all these different things towards these, this conquering king or this powerful king on his, on his horse. And then they would go into this was common, not just in the Middle East, North Africa, Europe, all over. It was very common that the king would take that and go into the resident temple and would make a sacrifice to the gods, lowercase gods, right? They would make a sacrifice to the gods, and they would proclaim kind of praise to the gods, but also align themselves as equal and also a god. All this was the norm. People were understanding about that. Now Jesus ends up doing the exact same thing that portrays what was common all over the world at that time, but he goes into not a temple, he goes into the temple, right? And he will eventually go, I took, I actually bought this picture in Israel in 2013. It's actually painted on Jerusalem stone. It's actually painted on Jerusalem limestone. And the, the artist, Benjamin Rosen, uh, my wife and I got a chance to share the gospel with him for over an hour. And he gave us a really good deal on this. Uh, like, I'm a pastor now. Can I afford this? You know, I, I, give me the pastoral discount on this. You know, but, uh, you know, but anyway, I, uh, he painted this picture of the temple, and he, if you get a chance to go to Jerusalem, he does amazing things on, on, on stone. He's, he says he's the only one around there that does it on stone. But any, at any rate, um, but you see just the temple, just Jesus would end up the fall. Well, he would go, as he came down the mountain, he would go into the temple, and he would go in, but you remember what he does. He does not go in to make any sacrifices. He goes in, he looks around, because he's the sacrifice, he goes in as the lamb and looks around and he notices that they're defiled. And the next day he's going to come back and purify it by casting out all the money changers. But he goes in just like the kings would, but not to make a sacrifice, but to present himself as the sacrifice. And then the following day he would cleanse it because they had defiled it with the money changing and all that other stuff. Adam Clark, but... They should have noticed, uh, I'll get to Adam in one second, the people should have noticed that he was not coming as a conquering king, but a humble king, and he was coming to be the sacrifice for their sins. Adam Clark said, uh, this entry into Jerusalem has been termed the, triumphant, uh, the triumph of Christ. It was indeed the triumph of humility over pride and worldly grandeur, of poverty over affluence, and of meekness and gentleness over rage and malice, because other kings were all about conquering and their pride and lift them up. And Jesus was quite the opposite of all those things. What the people didn't see 
is that their Messiah, their king, was a lamb riding on a donkey. A lamb riding on a donkey. He was their king, but he was a shepherd seeking lost sheep. And if you go back and you, if you got a chance to see the, the Soul Shepherd video we showed a few Wednesdays back, and you can type it on YouTube, just type in the Soul Shepherd. It's one of the most powerful 34-minute videos I've ever seen. Uh, but type it in and check it out yourself, even this week if you didn't get a chance to see it. But you remember that uh, all the shepherds in the video are riding on donkeys. And Jesus is the good shepherd, and he's riding on donkeys. But in some, one of the scenes, you'll actually see a shepherd on a donkey with a sheep on the donkey, and Jesus is the shepherd and the sheep on the donkey all at the same time. And one more note of verse 38. Uh, Luke records these words, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Uh, Jesus alone, we know, is the prince of peace. And we know he will be glorified. He's already been glorified. He's going to be farther magnified uh, at his return in all of eternity. But the arrival of his birth, you might remember, when Jesus arrived and the angels pronounced his birth, that peace and glory were in the proclamation. And here as he arrives for his death, peace and glory are again in the proclamation at the arrival for his death. God kind of bookending uh, both his arrival and birth for his arrival for death. Uh, verse 39 and 40, uh, we'll start to bring it to a close. And the Pharisees called to him. So the Pharisees, were, they were not there to cheer with the people. They were there to observe how can we capture him in the next few days because they were the one guy, group of guys that had different plans for the week. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you, if they should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. I have met, I think I've met stones that are smarter than a lot of the people these days. Um, uh, I think I'd rather, uh, tell the first service, I, I think I'd rather hear from a stone because at least a stone won't give me false information. Uh, whereas today, you can get all kinds of stuff. But Jesus makes it clear that even if they did not shout, the rocks, and I believe Jesus means this 100%, if they did not cheer, rocks would start speaking. Which, of course, he can do. Verses 41 through 44, last few verses. Now as he drew near to the city, uh, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially this in the day, uh, in this your day, the day, the things that make uh, for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children with you to the ground. They will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. It's sad how many people don't know the many times they've heard the gospel. They've heard their visitation, but they've rejected it. Every time they've heard the gospel, they've rejected the visitation of God. But Jesus, um, as he's at the top of the Mount of Olives, and I took this picture in 2019, uh, when we were there last time as a church group, uh, this, is a, this is probably very similar to the angle view Jesus would have at the kind of the crest on the donkey looking. Now, where the Dome of the Rock is now, all that was the temple. That's still the, the foundation of the Temple Mount. It's everything, the Dome of the Rock, and there's, there's two mosques actually on the Temple Mount there. But uh, that would have all been the temple rising much higher than the Dome of the Rock, and it would be to the right of the Dome of the Rock with the, the gold dome building, which is a mosque there. But uh, the, Jesus either entered in, th this gate right here is sealed up, because it was sealed by Suleiman and the Ottoman Empire, which is not the original gates anyway. It's not even the original walls. It was built by the Ottoman Turks. But you have, Jesus either entered here in the eastern gate or around the backside, which would be the sheep gate, we don't know for sure. There's debate that he entered the Sheep Gate or the Beautiful Gate, which is also called the Golden Gate. Both make sense, and I guess we'll totally find out when we get to heaven which gate he entered, uh, because they both make a lot of sense. He's both king and he's the lamb, so he could enter either one. We don't know for sure. But at any rate, that's kind of the view that he would be looking at. Of course, the temple would be all there and then rising up in the center uh, the actual temple proper, but then you have the outer courts and all that right there on the Temple Mount. 
And that's about the view he would have. And you can see the trees at the bottom. That's the Kidron Valley. He has to go over the little brook and then in through the gate or to the other gate. But as he's about to descend, he stops and he begins to weep. And only Luke records this. Luke's the physician. Luke was very detailed. John was very detailed too, by the way. But, but Luke was very detailed about things like this. And Jesus begins to weep. And Luke records that Jesus was not feeling the joy everybody else was feeling about this moment. And he has these closing and sobering words. Um, he saw the city and wept over it. Amidst all the praise, Jesus was brokenhearted over the sins and the, and the hard heart. He knew that these people that were praising him did not really want him as Savior. They wanted what they thought he could do for them. And that's sadly why many people, hey, if, yeah, if he will pay off my bills, yeah, I'll do it. If he will make me rich, I'll do it. Yeah, if, I, if he's going to make my life better, he does not promise all that. He promises eternal life. Now, he does promise life more abundant. But he was brokenhearted because the city was still hard. Uh, and I believe that you know we see much of this today. Jesus knew that the same people who were praising him as king would contribute to the title of king of the Jews being right above his head. And they would contribute not to a gold crown being laid on his head, but a crown of thorns later that week. That very week, just days later, they would completely change their tune. And he knew it. And that the peace that they sought was not in Jesus removing their sins, but Jesus removing Rome, and they thought that would be a much favorable position for them and the country. Their shouts of save now were not about their souls. They were saying, save our nation. Save our lifestyle. Save our position in the world. Does this sound like our votings? That's the things that they wanted to say. It wasn't their souls. It wasn't the purity of God. It wasn't the holiness of God. It wasn't their own salvation from sin. It was just save that our country is a great place and we have total control of it again. And sadly, Jesus weeps over this city, Richmond, and this state, and this nation, and in fact this world, doesn't he? Because it's the same. We're, we're the same hearts. We have... We have in, God has to change our hearts that we see that what he says is most important, which is our sin and our souls, is far more important than all that other stuff. Amen? So many want an earthly king that will provide prosperity instead of the blood of a lamb that provides salvation. And that's why Jesus came. That's why he knew that he had to come. In spite of their response, he could see beyond their response that they desperately needed a Savior. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again for the truth of your word, for the clarity of your word, for uh, the simplicity. But Lord, we know that uh, you did not come just to make our lives better, but to save our lives, to save our souls, to turn us from ourselves in the throne of our heart, that you would take the throne of our hearts, that that you would apply your blood, just as the doorpost in Egypt had to, be, had to have the blood applied, we have to have your blood applied to our hearts for us to be passed over from the judgment of death and hell and to come into that place of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we're about to take of these elements, if there's even uh, one person here, Lord, you know, every, you know every person here who is sealed for eternity and you know if there's someone sitting here that is not ready for eternity. You and you alone know if there's anyone in this room that is not ready, if their name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they've never really been born again, then you know each one that is. And only you know that. We can't see inside the heart, but you can. And Lord, I pray that if there's even one, you would speak to them even now. And before we take of these elements, I just want to ask in, in this audience if there's even one person that say, I, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've never trusted Him. I've never asked Him to cleanse me from my sins. I've never been born again, saved as the scriptures say, but I don't even understand it all, but I want to be saved from my sins. Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If there's even one person here, I don't want to make the assumption everyone here is ready for eternity because you may not be. Anyone at all, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you if there's any, a single person before we take the Lord's Supper. If all of us know the Lord, 
We're about to take of the Lord's Supper, which is the commemoration of that Passover meal and Jesus revealing himself in it. Um, just take a few moments as Jackson and uh, Marty lead us uh, for a moment just to just pray in your heart. You can sing along. You can make this song a prayer. You can pray silently. Say, Lord, search me. Is there anything that, that you need to deal with me this morning that I leave it at the cross? And you know, even though we're saved, we still have, we need cleansing. I, I don't know about you, uh, though I'm saved for eternity, but I need Jesus washing me regularly. Just like washing your hands. You, you, what you did today, you're going to need to wash them again tomorrow. But it's just Jesus who washes our hearts. So just take this moment as we worship just to pray and then we'll take these elements together.